Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, November 16th, and we are previewing today Notre Dame's Home finale, the 500th game played in Notre Dame Stadium this Saturday at 3.30, 3.30 kickoff. Uh, 31 seniors will be running out for, quote, the last time. We'll see how many actually are running out for the last time. But Notre Dame Wake Forest this weekend, we just met with uh, Marcus Freeman for a Zoom meeting. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson, and um, we're going to discuss some of the things that Marcus Freeman said. One of the best things that we heard um, – and then I kind of anticipated this, guys. When when Mark uh, when um, Rocco Spindler didn't uh, had surgery right away following the knee injury against Clemson, to me that was a sign that it wasn't an ACL because usually they allow that to 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 rest a little bit and die down a little bit uh, some of the swelling. And so uh, Marcus Freeman confirmed today MCL injury for Spindler that doesn't impact this weekend's game at all, but that's a really good sign moving forward into the spring. Yeah. And- Usually they'll tell you too right away, like he was injured. He's out for the season. He had an ACL. We expect him back for spring, and they really don't expect him back for spring when they have an ACL injury. But in this case, MCL can get him back for spring. It was refreshing that Marcus Freeman said he might not be 100% full go for all of spring because he'll miss winter conditioning. So it's a decent it's a decent knee injury that impacts him, but he should be, you know, if he can catch up, be totally fine for August camp and be in full health trying to battle for a guard spot. They have 150 guards battling for that guard, those two guard spots. So it'll be an interesting offseason that way. Yeah, it's significant because, you know, he, I think if he was out for all of spring, it would be yeah. very difficult for him to be a legitimate competitor for that job in August. So That's a great point. Yeah. It makes, you know, not only does it give you more legitimate depth in training camp because Spindler would be ready to go um, for Spindler, it's significant because it, it gives him a real chance to, retake the job that um you know billy Shrouth or pat coogan or charles jagasaw whoever you want to throw in there they're not just going to have a free run of it until spindler returns in the fall uh spindler should be out there at least a little bit in the spring and really with an mcl i mean i think he can get i guess there are varying degrees of it but i think he can get a, a large portion of the winter conditioning in coming back from an M- mcl anyway we'll see it that that's good news now zeke Carell. Uh, not so good news. He hasn't been able to take any contact. He's done some non-contact stuff this week, but uh, Zeke Carell will likely miss uh, the Wake Forest game. That means Ashton Craig moves into the starting lineup. Um, what uh, Billy Shroth, we know we had a chance to talk to him the other day. I thought it was really, I really appreciated his approach. You know, I came right out and said, you know, we thought, I think most of the media thought you would start and you didn't. Um, can you explain, you know, why that didn't come to come to fruition? And he just said, look, I'm forward thinking. And he was complimentary of coach Rudolph, complimentary of Spindler and being and Spindler helping him in, in, uh, you know, transitioning into the starting lineup this week. So, I mean, I think all that, uh, was good. Pete, you asked about, I know a lot of people are asking about strength and conditioning coaches and, um, you asked Marcus Freeman about that today and he did address it. Yeah, it's they're gonna do interviews after the Sanford game. Um, that like it's my understanding from Marcus that they will there will be NFL candidates, there will be college candidates. Fred Hale will get an interview for it. Um, but what he's looking for is something somebody a little bit more forward thinking. Um, it, both in terms of training and the science behind it, but also just sort of what the student athletes at Notre Dame have to deal with on a day-to-day basis in terms of time. Like I always, I always felt like the strength and conditioning coach at Notre Dame, you have to be a master of time um, in addition to weights, because there's just not, you don't have a lot of time here um, with everything else that's going on. So I, it'll be interesting to sort of see where they go, where they go with that. But um, he wants somebody with experience. Um, That's a big thing. Um, So I, if this, search goes the way that you would assume it would go, that will mean Notre Dame will end up with somebody who's a sitting strength and conditioning coach elsewhere. Um, whether it's at the, now well, I shouldn't say that because you could be um, 
could have had a job in the past and, and built up experience and maybe you're an assistant somewhere, but um, it, uh, I think it will be a wide net, um, but it will be somebody a little bit more forward thinking. He's not looking to hire um, a strength coach from central casting in 1962 uh, in terms of like just more, more, more in terms of lifting. So that would be, Notre, I mean, Notre Dame should have a lot of resources to throw at this position. It's, and it's, Absolutely critical that um, they have a good hire there. I mean, yeah, their last hire was perhaps the most important hire of all yeah. the hires there because everybody else has left so, and he has left too. But in 2017, that was the one rock, the bedrock on which Brian Kelly's new program and Marcus Freeman's start was built. So huge hire coming up. Um, but Pete, what I think I heard you say was that they have to be able to manage time at a place like Notre Dame, which you're just saying the administration gets in the way of everything and Notre Dame students are yes. screwed over. Damn professors. Is that what you said right there? So you could put yeah. that out. No, hundred percent. That's okay. that you're the implication you were spot on. Uh, just, <laughs> that's, Thank you. that's sarcasm for anyone Thank, listening yes, who yes. Uh, <laughs> might not get it. Yeah. It will be difficult to um, find a name of a, a, a prospect for that position that will be received as highly as, as Matt Bayless was Fred Hale, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't, it, it's kind of hard to screw up the job during the season once it, once it Matt Bayless kind of set the stage through August. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think that they have been negatively impacted by that loss during the season. Uh, but I, I don't think Fred Hale will ultimately get the, the full-time job. I think if it's not a marquee name, I think it will be an established, well-respected person in the industry and we should hear more about that as we as we head into uh as we head into December talking about Wake Forest Wake Forest is four and six they've lost five of their last six they're not a very good football team right now uh they're the best aspects of their team are on the defensive side of the football which I think I they're asked. okay I think they're decent on defense don't you like no. even a little better than than uh no, than their numbers you know I know they're middle of the pack everywhere but I feel like they're just a I touch better than that. Like Notre Dame's a touch worse on offense than their numbers. <laughs> Wake Forest is a touch better on defense than their numbers. Well, I would agree. And their and their numbers in the red zone and especially on third down, um, you know, you you sit up and take notice because it's going against the Notre Dame offense. And Notre Dame's offense has has struggled on third down against against the better defenses. I wouldn't put Wake Forest, I'd put them in in the group following you know, the four best that they've, they've faced so far and, and their, their numbers in general are middle of the pack, but they're good in the red zone. Notre Dame's offense has been good in the red zone. Um, they're good on third down. Notre Dame's offense on third down hasn't, hasn't been as good. Yeah. That's a good point, Tim. Cause even five best, like they're not as good as NC state. If NC state's the fit Louisville or NC state's the yeah. fifth best, then they're about the sixth best NC defense. Notre Dame's the one, yeah. NC state's the one defense that still, I mean, I think still holds up that that was a that was a good defense. Yeah. There, NC State has the same. Ohio, State. Ohio State's a good defense. <laughs> no, no, I mean the other four are given. I'm, I'm. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. Louisville and Clemson and Ohio State are given. I would put NC State next, and then probably Wake Forest. Yeah. And now we're getting to the middle of the pack, but they've done. Yeah. Some he mentioned I was just saying, like Wake Forest or um, NC State a little bit. Like I, I talked to Greg McElroy for a story this weekend. We were talking about the NC State game because he called it. And I was like, well, you know, the offense did really well that day. And he's like, that defense is, can get pretty fundamentally unsound. Like they take a lot of risks. And if you're sort of if you're just play sound conservative football, you can gash the hell out of them, which Notre Dame did. Um, you know, I, I think that Wake Forest is probably not as going to not going to be as exotic defensively as Wake Forest or as Nancy State does but I'm not sure that necessarily is a positive or a negative as it relates to yeah. Wake Forest. A couple of the guys that have stood out to me in watching them uh this week and Marcus Freeman mentioned a couple of them by by number number 30 he mentioned defensive end Jasheen Davis. I mean some of their let me let me get to their numbers. Some of their uh some of the numbers, first of all their offense is 131st in Tackles for loss allowed. They've they've uh, they've been sacked forty three times. So that side of the ball is oh, their offensive line's a train wreck. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah, but just like a couple guys, like defensively, Jasheen Davis has he's got fourteen tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks. Uh, and and ten. Do you have any eligibility remaining? Man, I, t I he he may. Um, is he a freshman yeah. or a graduate? No, sorry, he, oh, he's been on the board a lot. 
I'm not even sure what year he is, but he would be, yes, he you could insert him into the starting lineup for Notre Dame next year. Kevin Pointer, number 91, uh, a defensive tackle, has eight tackles for loss. They have a Jacob Roberts, number 40, has 10 tackles for loss, a linebacker, and six sacks. So they've got, you know, they've got some guys, some players. Marcus Freeman mentioned, who did he mention? He said number one, and that is, uh, that's that's Kalen Carson, who many believe will play. He's a corner. Mm-hmm. And he believe he'll play in the NFL and be a fairly high draft pick. And then number three, he mentioned it's uh, safety Malik Mustafa, who's really aggressive and really ra- around the football and a very physical player. So they've got some guys that can throw throw a wrench into some of the things that Nordane wants to do offensively because a lot of teams can throw a wrench into things that Nordane wants to do offensively. Uh, Davis is a senior with a COVID year of eligibility remaining. Oh. He has 37 and a half career tackles for loss and 20 career sacks. I'm sure, I'm sure Dave Clawson would be happy if Nordheim came calling once again to, uh, did you hear Dave Clawson this week that he's already yeah. has six figures, uh, players being in, yep. being coveted by others. Yep. So it was funny. I, uh, I can think of one right at... now that would be a good, good person. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just named one. I can name a couple more. It was funny. I was looking at some of their stats and, and Jacob Roberts, the linebacker, has forty has thirty four stops, and I was like, "That's like a season for Notre Dame's best player most of the time." And I looked, and he had nine against Old Dominion, so that is part of it. But I was so I tried to look up Jasheen Davis. I was like, "Let's see game by game." I was like, "Oh, seven pressures against Old Dominion. Oh, eight against Florida State." <laughs> so apparently, Jasheen Davis are, coming to Notre those, Dame is what we figured out. Are those PFF? Those uh, are our Pro Football pressure? Focus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the numbers that I quoted would be NCAA stats, where they only yeah, have yeah. one. Yeah, he has forty pressures according to PFF. Um, like, Aquara was fifty-one. That's the most I've seen for Notre Dame. I wonder uh, what number he's going to wear next year. <laughs> it makes it makes no it makes no sense to not include all the players that are involved in a quarterback pressure. Yeah, it's not an official stat for the NCAA, and they just no, got to figure not. out a way to make it a stat because it's it will, not that it hard will, to do. Yeah. It will be one day, and when it is, they need to include, you know, because three guys can pressure the core. Two guys certainly pressure the quarterback yeah. uh, fairly frequently. But, uh, you know, and then offensively, they'll be starting Michael Kern for the first time. I I really feel like of the three quarterbacks uh, that I've seen throw the football, he's the best of the throwers. Uh, Griffiths is probably, Mitch Griffiths is probably the best of the runners. Um. You know, and their wide receiver core has taken a hit since last year. Donovan Green suffered a summer injury, which was a huge blow to them. They lost A.T. Perry, who was a six-round draft choice. Draft choice. So they're they have they have Jamal Banks, who's six foot three, and everybody else is little. They got a bunch of little receivers, including Taylor Morin, who also would look good in the Notre Dame uniform. Because not, not a slot receiver tip. We already went over this. That's right. Okay. Yeah, he is the no doubt about that. Keyshawn Williams. Uh, Keyshawn's a a slot receiver too. So their, their receiving core has diminished a little bit, but I like their running backs to Claiborne. Number 23 is like a bowling ball. He's hard to bring down. And justice Ellison, number six has a little bit of speed. So they've got some players. I say that every week. Uh, I, I think that you can, every, every opponent that you watch, you come away and say, all right, you know, this handful of players can play, but Norton, they, they should not score against Norton's defense. I don't give a damn about slow mesh or fast mesh or medium mesh. They should not be scoring. They should be hard pressed to score double figures against Notre Dame. I agree. Donovan, I mean, also Donovan Green, uh, senior with another year of eligibility, uh, 79 career catches for 1,473 yards and 10 career touchdowns. Just throwing it out there. Sounds like an entire roster right now, if you want yeah. to put it that way. Hey, be, um, I looked it up, and Jasheen Davis, um, as you said, Pete, he wears number 30. What will he wear at Notre Dame next year? Well, Skip Balada, the graduate student, does wear number 30. If he returns for a sixth year provided by COVID, then uh, Davis can pay Velada for whatever he would like to for his jersey. Guys, anything else you want to bring up here in segment one? Anything that Marcus Freeman may have mentioned that I didn't yes. bring? <laughs> I want to bring it up because I think it's hilarious. We yep. talked about it pre When somebody, uh, obviously one of the sites is doing a, a special on J.D. Bertrand as well. They should for senior day. There's been a lot of Bertrand questions at our interview sessions, and he asked Marcus Freeman about Bertrand and Freeman went back to a story. I don't remember him saying this before, but you said he said it twice now oh, yeah. that JD Bertrand, when Freeman got here as a defensive coordinator was always asking to watch film with him. <laughs> he was like, 
I got a defense to install, man. So he would give almost like he was annoyed, but he would give Bertrand special times to come in and Bertrand would come no matter what the time is. And I think that's why J.D. Bertrand is a two-time captain, three-year starter at Notre Dame, because he took it pretty seriously when he was nowhere near the field. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, the story that my favorite story on him was, I I don't I, I never followed up to see if he actually did this. I don't think that he did, but as a senior in high school, he was coming in here like, remember, like he committed. They were like, we don't know if we have a scholarship for you, but <laughs> yeah, <awesome>. come on. <laughs> um, but his senior year of high school, you know, what did we all do senior year spring break in high school? Um, we didn't do homework, um, but J.D. Bertrand from Atlanta wanted to come to South Bend for a week and watch Notre Dame do spring practice so he could learn the defense. And I think Notre Dame was like, what are you doing? Get, get away. Go do something <laughs> else. Um, I need to follow up with JD to see if he actually did that because that was just like, man, this guy freaking loves. At that point, I knew JD Bertrand was going to be a really good player for Notre Dame. Maybe not as good as he turned out to be, but like, I knew this guy was going to click because if you work that hard, it's happening for you. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I was one of the first, I think I started the original JD Bertrand bandwagon. Unfortunately, most people have come to see what a what a great player he is, but I I love the I love the personality. We were talking to him the other day, and I was doing a slow mesh thing, and I you know kind of sort of tried to ask a question, but basically made a statement. And in JD Bertrand's own way, in his low key way, said, "Is there a question in there?" <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> it was definitely a statement. You're like, well, said, you've seen this before against Stanford, right? <laughs> yeah, I said. Yeah, I said no. I'm trying to come up with one, but no, I don't have one. But and then I followed up with him. But I just, he's just so, he's so understated in those situations, and he can be such a prick at times on the field during games. Yeah, I mean, just ask, really, just ask Quinn Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I just, I, I love the kid. I got to know his brother a little bit because he pitched for the baseball, baseball team too. He was. Maybe not quite as understated as JD, but it's a a heck of a family, a great a great kid. Anything else, guys? Before we wrap up segment one, that's that's it. This episode of Iris Illustrated is excuse me. This episode of Iris Illustrated Insiders presented by Underdog Sports. We see a lot of you are downloading Underdog using the promo code and having fun, which we love to see. If you haven't already checked them out, be sure to do so. It's super easy to use. You go on the app. You pick whether your favorite player will have a higher or lower stat total than what is listed. For example, if Travis Kelsey's number is set at 50 yards and you know Taylor Swift is in the house, you may feel confident he's going to be way higher than that number. Do that with two to five different players and you're in business. If you go five for five, you can multiply your money by 20. So sign up today with promo code IRISH and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store and don't forget, to register with my promo code Irish to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. There are a lot of fantasy companies out there, but we decided to partner with Underdog because it's the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. You must be 18 or older and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let game day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit aerlingus.com to book today. 
Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question, ND Dan 106. I know a lot of fans have turned the page on this season, and the regular season does feel like a bit of a letdown. However, what would 10 wins this year mean to ND football, and how might it help build for the future? And his examples are, would it increase fun, NIL recruiting for prospects, coaches, transfers, recruiting prospects, etc.? I don't like what would it mean? I don't I mean, it'd be another double digit winning season, which has been the majority of the last seven. Um, you know, I, I I mean, I look at like 10 wins is. It's going to sell your program more than nine or eight. I, you know, I just if you go out and win a bowl game against an SEC opponent, regardless who the SEC opponent is, it, it's good. Does it help fund or NIL more? I don't not necessarily. I mean, I think that's all lined up and they know what they have and where they want to go and who they want to try to get. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to put a meaning on it other than 10 wins is better than not 10 wins. I, I do think the difference between nine and 10 is more than one win. Uh, right. You know, it's like, Especially it gives with a whole game, right? I mean, certainly. Yeah. It's like, if you beat Tennessee um, in the rely quest bowl, like it, I think it gives a little bit more credibility to, what Marcus Freeman is doing here. Um, it you couldn't argue that they didn't improve from year one to year two if they win 10 games. I just don't think you could do it. Um, you know, that might that's not the same as saying they improved as much as they probably should have, but you would say that they improved. Um, I don't think you could say the season was a failure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what the, the the NIL stuff and fun, like maybe it makes, I don't know. I mean, if Hartman plays well the last three games, maybe it makes him more attractive for whoever the other quarterback is thinking about coming to Notre Dame next year. I don't know. I mean, very quickly, the difference between 10 and 9 when you look back on things as fans, maybe not in August, but as a fan is astronomical because if you look back at, and especially the, now the bowl win used to mean a lot more, but if you look back at like, the famous year in 91, they went 10 and three. They got, they lost to Tennessee at home on senior day, got absolutely destroyed by Penn state, barely escaped Hawaii, but then they beat Florida. Everything changed. And you look back and said, well, Lou Holtz had another 10 win season. Yeah. It matters a lot. And also Tim Priester, we were sitting here previewing the Clemson game. And you said, you didn't say Dabo Sweeney has won this many games. You said Dabo Sweeney has won at least 10 games every year since 2011. I mean, right. it is clearly of Mark of, I mean, it's a delineation in things. It's a big difference. It's just not what people wanted this year because they expected to go to the playoff when they lost to Ohio State because they didn't have enough men on the field. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are disappointed and, you know, a lot in the season has been portrayed already as a failure. And I, and I get that because you didn't, you didn't answer the bell against Louisville. Um, <clears throat> And you didn't follow through against Clemson either, but you did go toe to toe with Ohio state, which was a huge breakthrough in the history of the, in the recent history of the series. Now the way they lost, you know, eliminates all the goodwill created by going toe to toe with Ohio state. But I do think that it's progress. And I do think 10 wins. Look, we always, it's a week by week evaluation. And if Nordane beats an sec team, and and uh, walks out of the ReliQuest Bowl at ten and three, it isn't it it is an improvement over last year. Pete, to your point, I mean, yet they didn't they didn't lose to Marshall and and Stanford. They lost to Louisville, which is at at, at worst right now looked like a New Year's Six Bowl. And Ohio State's contending for you know look in Clemson. Clemson's still a championship level program, if not a championship level 2023 team. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't fall into the category of meaningless games, especially when you're vying for a, a chance to win 10 games and be the SEC team in a, in a bowl game. I think it's unique though, that it is a disappointment and it's meaningful to have 10 game, 10 wins. It's a strange thing. It is disappointing, even though Vegas set the over under at nine and three, exactly well, nine that. wins. Remember we went into the Clemson game yeah. and said, this is a defining moment. If yeah. you, you lose, it's it's going to be considered an unsuccessful season. And that's especially how they lost was exactly. not allowable. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's fine. Like even if they went 10 and three, if if you wanted to argue that Notre Dame did not have a successful season because they went to 10 and three, I would hear your argument. 
but I think that's different than saying Notre Dame's season was a failure because they went 10 and three. I would, I would not entertain that argument. Those are, I think it's an important distinction to make when we're, you're forecasting what the season can still be. We have uh, a couple of questions here back to back. The first one from JP Wirt 70, please elaborate on your comment regarding Sam Hartman, not being good in play action this year. And then from the rocks 61, your thoughts on the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame saying they could not play or not run play action against Clemson because they play, they, as in the Tigers, play mostly man coverage. Pete, you have the initial stats for okay. uh, Hartman. Um, Sam Hartman's completion percentage in play action is 54.7%. That ranks 115th nationally for quarterbacks. So I think when you look at that stat, and I've written this a bunch, like he's not a great play action quarterback. And so if you're not good at something, doing it more is not really a solution, even though play action is sort of viewed as like this, you're all for a bad offense. Um, that's not the case with Hartman. Like, I think people miss like, People hyper focus on like you only had two action pass passes against Clemson. One of them was almost picked off. So like I don't, I don't get play action as like this. If they just did like I'm I'm with Freeman on this. Like it's not a if we just did this, then everything would work. Like that's just that's just not the case. Yeah, it's uh, and for those wondering, he's not quite ten. He's exactly nine percent better on non play action. Sixty three point eight percent. Um, Which you should be twenty percent better, right? And giving giving yardage would be dumb because he does it a lot. Now, Notre Dame, okay, so Notre Dame ran play action this year according to Pro Football Focus. Twenty has run it twenty percent of the time, twenty point seven percent of the time. Last year they were about twenty nine percent, and it did help Drew Pine. Um, I wrote this in our notebook yesterday. If people want to look it up, Notre Dame notebook offense. Uh, Drew Pine last year was twenty nine point six percent of his pass attempts. It really helped Pine in that he was eleven TDs in one pick in play action now just think of drew pine and you remember that the rest of it he must have been about 11 tds and six picks you know six turnovers in non-play action so it helps most people it's a great point by pete that and actually it, it hartman was even worse earlier in the year right pete you were giving me play action stats earlier in the year it's like he was very bad at it yeah it, it it doesn't make sense to me i mean i right. think the great mystery of play action isn't why notre dame doesn't call it more it's why it's not effective when they do well, that's that. That's my question here: is that why aren't they better at it? And we're not yeah. going to include the wide receivers in, in the in you know why play action is problematic for Notre Dame. Oh, for sure, they're included. Oh, I mean, they're the receiver position I mean, is problematic like, for everything. Well, right, and but I mean, we're sitting here and saying that it's that Sam Hartman is bad at it, and I think that it's well the, by comparison, he throws to the same wide receivers better without play action. Yeah, 9%. and like he was not he was not a great play action quarterback at Wake Forest either. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. You're just like this is this is just not a real asset of his. Like, um, when, well, but if you play action to Audric Estime, shouldn't that make you more effective? Yeah, you know, and this I is agree. Next, you would think you definitely would think so. Um, and that's part of the second part, Tim. You want to read the second part because we were talking to yeah. Coach Parker about this. Okay, yeah, uh, the Rock 61, your thoughts on offense coordinator for Notre Dame saying they could not run play action against Clemson because they play mostly man coverage. So really interesting thing. Now, now the good the point we took it as Pete and I took this as the rest of the Internet has not. I think he was talking about the outside wide receivers. He was talking about the corner covering an outside wide receiver and the corners not biting. The internet lost its mind and said, well, linebackers can bite, safeties can bite. Of course they can. He was talking about taking a shot in play action, but not everything is ever taken. If you, if you take one sentence out of an entire quote, it's always taken out of context. I got to tell you, every coach in the world knows this. There has never been a study ever that shows play action is ineffective, even if you can't run the football. It doesn't matter if you fake it to Audric Estime or Pete Sampson. The numbers don't well, change. What if Jared Parker's covering me? I know. That's why I said your name. The, did you know the, the, there's no evidence that because Audric Estime isn't fake too, it's better. That They just said the evidence shows play action works better. Yeah. However, it's not working for Notre Dame. So what do you want Parker to do? <laughs> like, no. And I get uh, 
probably could have used play action on the pick six, but um, you know, and I, I also saw a question about, you know, but he Trotter. was almost picked off on his other play action. Pete just yeah. said too. Jer- like, Jeremiah like, Trotter did this and Notre Dame didn't react to it. Well, Jeremiah Trotter makes a lot of offenses look bad. I'm not trying to defend anybody here, but play action Hold, does Holden not stays his route should not be defended by anybody on that. As we all know. What do you mean? Not? You pointed out Holden stays basically jumped away of, of the pass coming. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't aware of the coverage and, and just a lot. I, I, I don't know exactly what he could have done, but he, he wasn't aware of being pressed heavily by Trotter and then just took a, a soft, a soft cut and allowed Trotter to step right in front of him. It, it's, it's, it, it, that's Sam Hartman's fault, but sometimes you need a little bit of help to prevent a, a problem from happening too. I think we all think Notre Dame should run more play action, but as Pete has pointed out, when they run more play action, it hasn't helped them. And we don't know why we can't give you a real answer for that because we both, we all think it should work. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the reason why is the outside receivers don't win, you know, that's yeah. that's the that's reason. Why, that's why in I this case the tight ends aren't winning either. Well, of course yeah. they didn't run against Clemson, but that's yeah. why but nobody up. like nobody yeah. likes to nobody likes to say that. Especially in coaches really can't say. I I thought the most interesting thing Parker said this week was when he was talking about how Rico Flores ran that route against Pittsburgh that got picked off in the first quarter. It's it's pretty rare that a coach will offer sort of a, a public. X's and O's critique like he wasn't slamming Rico Flores he was just saying this is an example of a young player who's learning through doing and the offense paid the price for it you hope there's a return on the investment later but right now you're paying a price for it um and that like I think that kind of thing happens a ton um that one that example was just easy to bring up for Parker I think because they won the game like 92 yeah, to four. That's a good call. Yeah. Flores really drifted on that. Again, that, that, that there's a situation where the receiver has to be aware of what the coverage is and you're going to have to get physical with the guy. And so what if you don't catch it, you have to prevent the interception if you're on the back end of the throw. So, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that like, we're not blaming Hartman. It's just, we don't have pass. We don't have play action pass stats for Drico Flores every time he runs out and gets no, covered. That's I, the I problem. That. We weren't, we weren't <laughs> mentioning the receivers. That's why I, I, you know, I like, I feel like sometimes I'm overly defending Sam Hartman, but I just don't think that, I don't think you can say that all of Nordings pass issue problems in the second half of the season are Sam Hartman's. Yeah. We have some he, more over, we have had, some more over defending and, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, he's never, he's never had, I don't think there's ever been a time since he got to Notre Dame that he was completely confident in his wide receivers when he got on the field with them for the first time. And the second time and the 10th time he began to realize this is not, this is not a great situation here with my wideouts, especially coming from Wake Forest where he had a, he had a, he had a bag full of, of quality receivers last season. His tight end was his best player too. That is no doubt. Player. And he doesn't have him now. Yeah, no doubt about that question from, here we are. Another pairing of questions. First, from KevKev561. Are you convinced Jared Parker is capable of leading this offense in 2024? If not, who's on the short list? Uh, my convinced short list. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could be convinced by this season. Right. I'm not sure if that's the answer that this person's trying to get at, though. Well, or yeah, you- no, you, you, you couldn't be convinced because the Power Five performances since Ohio state. No, I shouldn't say it that way. The The power five performances other than against Ohio state and NC state defensively have been poor against good defenses. I mean, they, he, you know, he should, they, they should move the ball and look good against Pittsburgh and USC. They, they absolutely should have. Now I think it's, I think it's interesting that he found a way against NC state because that seems like the adjustment game of all for Jared Parker. Remember how we said it was so weird there were six three and outs and six touchdowns? You've never seen that before in your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't he, I mean you'd think how much you'd take that against Louisville and Clemson. Not not even that extreme. Three three and outs and three touchdowns. It's yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, at least they made like you saw tangible adjustments in the NCAA yeah. game, which allowed them uh, allowed them to move on. I uh who I mean, I, I don't think that we're in a position to say these the, the Nording will choose their coordinator from this group if it's not if Jared Parker isn't retained. But like, who are some of the the coordinators that you like? And I, I'm going to jump ahead also here um, 
to Caden MC. Can you point to a team nationally who is running the kind of offense you think Notre Dame should run going forward? I'm throwing a lot of questions out here, but um, I mean, you guys just address the. Are there is are there coordinators out there that you like that you think again we're not we're not deciding whether he should be fired or retained. My only thing is that, and I and I stand by this. How can Marcus Freeman pin his head coaching career at Notre Dame on on an inexperienced offensive coordinator that has struggled mightily against the best defenses that they faced with an ultra experienced quarterback? Um. You know, Colin Klein is somebody that I would revisit. You know, if there's, if Marcus Freeman is a spot where he's like, you know what, I got to do something different. Colin Klein's somebody I would revisit in part because I think you might be able to get his quarterback to come with him. Um, I don't, I know that uh, Kirby Moore at Missouri is very well regarded. Um, the receivers that he's working with at Missouri are playing a different sport than Notre Dame's wide receivers. So I, that's a, that's a hard eval to make because he does have multiple guys who can win on the outside. Um, he'd come to Notre Dame where maybe they don't have that as much. So, but I mean, th those would be two guys that would be front of mind to me. I, you guys remember the Colin Klein argument I had last year? No, what was that the, the quarter, the little quarterbacks didn't like him so much. So he was maybe not going to be considered oh, yeah, those quarterbacks weren't... all left the school or will be leaving after this year ends. Yeah. Yeah. Let's ask quarterbacks. Cause let's ask players. Those guys know what they're talking about when it comes to coaches. Yeah. When um, you, when he asked for feedback, um, don't ask for feedback. Got to take it. Their feedback's relevant to your life. Line coach. <laughs> if he asked for feedback this year, they're all going to say that they love their offensive coordinator for sure. So don't, I mean, if that's what co players like their coordinators, usually. Yeah, I you know I when I watched I watched a lot of film at Kansas State last year when we had begun to think we thought that he would was going to be the guy at one point as well. I I I loved what Kansas State did with Colin Klein. I thought you know we we laugh at at at, at Tommy Reese's pre snap movement and all that stuff. Klein had all of that. He had different formations. He he bunched guys to a side, which, which, you know, everybody does now, but I, I, I thought he, I thought he offered a wide variety as an offensive coordinator. And I, I liked him a lot. I, I liked Andy Ludwig, but frankly, I liked what Klein did more that I saw in film. I liked what Klein did more than Andy Ludwig. Now, Andy Ludwig would be just fine. I don't think that you can, that's an unrealistic revisit. That's not going to happen. Yeah, that's that's like it just, just seems so it, it seems so implausible, even if well, first of all, they were successful, Utah. So it's not it's not like an open market situation for Andy Ludwig either when those but that's a uh how are we still talking about Andy Ludwig and Colin Klein, by the way, with an offensive coordinator situation after this, but for an entire football we're right back to Colin Klein. Notre Dame lost Ludwig. to Clemson. That's why we're still talking about it. <laughs> and, Sean, and we didn't bring up Sean Lewis yet. He was back, he was in the conversation last year too. Yeah, I don't know if that's one that I would go down the path of yeah, like I, I I do think there is something and I think co coaches and coordinators I talk to would agree there is something to like understanding the DNA of the place where you're working and doing like throw it all over the place oh yeah no, it crazy is. tempo I know that's fun to watch on TV I don't know if that would be fun to watch in Notre Dame Stadium I don't think Marcus yeah, Freeman wants well, to go there no I, okay I'm gonna I know this will this will fly like a lead balloon with some people. Um, I think Charlie Weiss, who is now Charlie Weiss, there's Charlie Weiss Senior now, and there's Charlie Weiss. Did you see that? That I, yeah, I, 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 I forgot about junior, it. I almost fell so out of my chair because I thought you were not talking about, about Junior. And okay, there was, I'm yeah. talking about Charlie Weiss Junior. I think he would be. I think he's in the process of becoming an outstanding offensive coordinator. It would be controversial because, again, like Tommy Reese, when he was hired, you're going to have a fan base that's immediately going to say, I don't like that guy. He's not any good. I don't want him because of who he is and his his dad, et cetera. But I don't think that has anything to do with anything. I know Charlie Weiss Jr. He is a much different man than his father is, uh, a lot more humble, a lot more grounded, and I think he'd be an excellent fit at Notre Dame. 
But in answer to the, did I read the Caden MC question about yeah. what team? I love what North Carolina has been in recent years, and they have a new offensive coordinator this year because Phil Longo went to Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's struggling, um, you know, offensively, and so I get that. But when when Longo was at, at North Carolina, that was a truly balanced offense, a two-dimensional offense that could gash you with the run and could gash you with the pass. And Chip Lindsey is now the North Carolina offensive coordinator. I don't know anything about him, but they are doing similar things in terms of the run pass balance. Yeah, boy, they have had four years of pretty damn impressive <laughs> run pass quarterback play too. Yeah. Sam Howell and Drake may yep. that's, that's kind of yep. important. In their, in their Mitch Trubisky was still. fine too. Who's that? Mitch Trubisky, pretty good college quarterback. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I love the balance. I think you need the balance today. You know that, I mean, I think that to me, that's one of the biggest indictments against Jared Parker. You're, you're too, and 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 Marcus Freeman in the process, you're you're too one dimensional. Like I, I realize you want to be a power running game, but it's 2023, and you can't just say, "All right, we're going to go into this game and and run the football against, regardless who it is on the other side." You know, like uh, okay, all these hats in a box, we don't care. We're still going to run it. It doesn't work now. Uh, you need to be a two dimensional offense. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, one of. I was going to say, like, I think one of the things that Reese did really well last year is for the most part, he was like, I think coaches talk about they want to play to their strengths, but I think so much of good coaching, especially on offense, is how you minimize your weaknesses, like how you paper over your weaknesses. Like Notre Dame's weakness last year was quarterback play. It was terrible. And they figured out how to way to build an offense without a quarterback, which like is insane to think about. Yeah. This offense, I feel like, is struggling to minimize or paper over the fact that they don't have dynamic receiver play. And it's like it, Notre Dame can talk all about like we want to lean into our line and our run game and all that, but like they're they're doing a very poor job of figuring out a way to like hide the fact that they have poor receiver play or work around the fact that they have poor receiver play is probably a better way to put it. Um and that's that's a that's a coaching critique, really. Yeah, it is more of a coaching, but it, it's a coaching critique. The one thing about the Clemson game plan, I think they couldn't run the ball. Their rush efficiency was 41%. But their pass efficiency, I decided to track every pass play to. 29%. 29% of the times they dropped back, it was an efficient pass. In the fourth quarter, Sam Hartman dropped back 15 times. Three efficient plays. One was a scramble. Yeah, he was he was two of thirteen on passes of five yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage in the game for thirty one yards. Two of thirteen beyond five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And by the way, I can remember a pass behind the line of scrimmage that was going for negative four yards too. So he couldn't have been that good behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, right, it so was it was here, bad. Here's my this is my argument uh, for Hartman and and like Tyree has caught seventy one point eight percent of the passes thrown his way. Tobias Merriweather has caught 40.7% of the passes that have gone his way. Rico Flores, who we all like, is a freshman, ran a wrong route or drifted too much against Pittsburgh. He's he's caught 48.6% of the passes thrown his way. Why is Tyree 72% and the other guys are so low? So Hartman throws the ball better to Tyree than he does when he throws to those other guys? I don't I don't it's like you're making a point where that you're that doesn't make any sense does it well that's why i defend Hartman. it's almost like it's not on hartman at all right that's why i'm trying to defend hartman because the numbers say well uh, mitch evans would be great and that in a targets for catch um that's an old stat i was just doing wide receivers i don't well he has 40 mitch evans finished with 40 targets and how many catches? I mean, you guys. 29, 29. Yeah, so there you go. 75 75%. And when so, you say, okay. And also not only that, not only 29, Tim. So there's 29 catches out of 40. He also has 5, 10, 21, 24 first downs on those 29 catches. That's pretty damn good. Oh, my end. God. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, look, I, it's. It's a combination of all these things. Hartman has not been good. He was he was bad against Clemson. I get that, but to throw everything on Sam Hartman when you have wide receivers catching forty percent of the passes thrown in their direction, 
it can't all be on the quarterback. No, I think this is great, though, because we have been blamed all year long of throwing everything on the wide receivers. And right now you're telling us we threw everything on Sam Hartman today. (laughs) All season long, it's been us ripping on the we have been ripping on the wide receiver course (laughs) since January of 2022. (laughs) <laughs> all of a sudden it's Hartman's fault yeah just, I mean just for a point of comparison these are the reception percentages for Notre Dame's top three wide receivers in 2020 Ian Books last year Javon McKinley 71.2 percent Avery Davis 66.7 percent Ben Skoranek 65.9 percent Michael Mayer was probably okay too on those things right when he was going through the little I mean, bit Faison's barely played. I mean, barely played. They've thrown 11 passes to him. He's caught 64% of them. I, I, so, so. Pete, can you please, just so we finish the wide receiver thing for a while and everybody hearing this can hear it for the final time, use your Fiesta Bowl stat, and then we can move on to the next question. Oh, right. Uh, Notre Dame has not had a 100-yard receiving performance by a wide receiver since the Fiesta Bowl. That is now 23 games. The only other teams that have not had a receiving performance of 100 yards by a wideout during that time are UConn, Iowa, Rutgers, Navy, and Wyoming. (laughs) That's a good stat, Pete Sampson. It's a really good stat because one of those guys is a corner for Ohio State that had 100 yards. The other one left pro early much to the chagrin of Irish illustrated insider after his four suspensions. And the other one's a running back on Notre Dame that caught the passes out of the backfield was a running back. Now was a receiver. Yeah, was, now he's a receiver. Yes. Yeah. So every weekend I look to see box scores of Navy, Wyoming, Yukon, Iowa, and Rutgers to see if anyone had got over a hundred yards. You Wyoming ignore, came close last weekend. You can ignore one of those teams, you know, every weekend and you'll still be okay. You'll still be right. You just I never know. know. Hey, look, there could be a, score. it could be a slot back something. <laughs> I mean, We're moving on to KB2020. What are your thoughts on the need for Freeman to bring in a real proven strength and conditioning coach? It can't be stressed enough how important this decision will be for Freeman. Have you heard any rumblings on that or the OC decision? Freeman's future at Notre Dame depends on those two decisions. We've kind of addressed this already. Right. We Uh, did skip the Bosco question, Tim, if you want to use the uh, yes, uh, I do want to get back to that. Thank you. Uh, should we answer? Well, I don't know what there is to answer here more. With yeah. Listen to segment one, KB 2020. Segment one, KB 2020. We got that, it. That's, that's on me to not ask a question that's already been answered. Sorry about that. <laughs> question from Bosco, which play Bosco, <laughs> which players with eligibility remaining do you think will ask for and be granted an NFL evaluation? This is so hard because there's so many that can do it. Well, let's let's uh, let's go with the low hanging fruit here. Estimate. Yeah, I, I, I like Estime and Alt. I think are givens. I don't think Alt should, right? Would yeah, Alt also waste of everyone's time. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I mean they're givens to go into the NFL. I don't know that they need evaluation. Oh, I, I think Estimate will get one. I mean, okay. Kyron Williams got one after his junior okay. year. I think you owe it to estimate to give him one. That's the thing. Okay, that's fair. That's For fair. people not that don't know this again, you get five, so they can't do 20. Um, estimate deserves one. Uh, Chris Tyree deserves one, if he's interested in it. Watts. Xavier, oh, sorry. Xavier Watts deserves one. <laughs> right, before Watts Tyree, deserves, frankly. Just give, just give Watts two. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Xavier Watts deserves one. Uh, Riley Mills is a senior with eligibility, deserves one. Well, he will want one. He will want one. Um, I'm I'm eliminating all fifth years because I'm just trying to be fair to the ones that have never had a chance to have one, basically, I guess would be the... Right. I mean, like Cross? Mm. No, I don't think he'll get one. Um, Oh, I had some on the top of my head. Well, no, it won't be Mitchell Evans anymore. He would have totally deserved one. Right. Right. He's not getting one now. Um, see, Cam Hart should just go oh, with the well, injury. Blake Fisher. Blake I was Fisher. Going to say, Blake Fisher, Fisher will, will want one. Um, I, I you know, I think uh, I, estimate Watts, Tyree Mills, Fisher is like a pretty, I think it is too, solid list. I think you got to eliminate the, the graduate students five. that, yeah, man, I don't, yeah, man, with they almost have to loosen up that rule a little bit with 
like we're still in COVID years, so five isn't but, enough. Yeah, but the NFL doesn't care, right? They don't want to oh, waste I their time that. on. I realize that. Leah Falmay, Leah Falmay ask for one as well. I don't. Oh yeah. I don't think Kaiser could ask one. for one. That's geez. Who's that? Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kaiser could too. Um, I'm sure they have many back channel ways of getting NFL evaluations from people. Though. Yeah, it doesn't I don't have to be official. Yeah, I don't. I, I wonder if we overdo this. Like, right? Yeah, probably. As a, as a thing, like maybe it's a mindset thing about like, well, this guy's thinking about leaving, and I didn't, I hadn't considered that, but it doesn't. It's like coming out for senior. It's like the coming out for senior day last year, where that was a big to do. When Marcus was like, "Well, if you come out, that means you're leaving," and then we're all like in the box, like, "Who's coming out? We gotta, we gotta track everybody." And they're like, and "Actually, it's it not wasn't the case thing. at all." Yeah, um, I think this is similar to that. It's interesting, but like not binding. Hey, you're next up. from Grokster. In your coverage comments, you guys seem to be very high on Aeneas Williams. Yet your eval ranking, your must be twenty four seven. Yet your eval ranking has him at the low end of the four-star scale and sitting at number 20 on the running back list. What is the limiting factor that keeps him from being super higher or from being higher in 24-7's rankings? His output, versatility, and skill set argues for a higher rating. My, my <clears throat> excuse me, my guess would be his size is what has him lower. We have absolutely nothing to do with the ratings of 24-7 sports. Uh, uh, so Aeneas Williams is a great high school running back. That it's going to be a, a, a great player at Notre Dame. I, I know O'Malley agrees with that. Yes. Pete, I don't know where where you are on, on that, but I mean, hit his. Did you see the lot? Was it a 90 yard, whatever run that was last week or the week before? Good Lord. He was he there had, that beautiful day that Aeneas Williams was putting on a show as a wide receiver as well. So he is. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's a take 10 out of 10 recruiting cycles. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, is he a top 100 player? Is he a top 200 player? I don't know, but right. he's somebody that I would take in my class every time. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite players coming in. And I like, oh, I like the last four running backs. If you want to go with Williams, Young, Love, and uh, Jadarian Price, there's that's some pretty good running backs coming back next year to replace Audrey Gustafson. Statman72, Marcus Freeman loses a game with 10 defenders on the field and hires an offensive coordinator whose performances have been questionable. Some fans blame his inexperience and question whether he is in over his head. Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills loses a game with 12 defenders on the field and fires his offensive coordinator. Should that make us feel better about Freeman's long-term prospects? I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's a good analogy or comparison, but uh, look, I mean, it, it happens. 10 guys, 12 guys. It does happen. There are a lot of moving parts and sometimes it just takes one person to not be sharp at that moment. And it I, I feel like the 10 guy thing would not have been a big deal if it wasn't two plays. Yeah, that's good. Point. But it was two plays. I mean, it would have been a big deal. They would have lost because of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still, was, still important. Well, they, okay. The first play they didn't lose because of it. Cause even Ohio state didn't see it because they rolled yeah. right away from the open spot, but they're tough. They're tough. Even though they are they're throwing they were it, able the to run right, right over the spot where there was nobody standing. That was very Don't good. Forget that. They're yeah. very tough. Can't believe I'm rooting for Ohio State on Thanksgiving Saturday. This is just an amazing world I live they, in. Oh, I I root I root for Ohio State every Thanksgiving Saturday of my life. <laughs> I don't when they're undefeated. Um, <clears throat> uh, I like to end it for both teams. I like the because I don't I don't I'm I'm too old to like meteors anymore. So I always root for the team that has a loss in that situation. Yeah. You don't want to see either of them in the playoff, but in this instance, you're going to have to accept one of them is making it. Exactly. So I have to. That's exactly right. I always root for the team that will not go to the playoff if they, if an upset can happen. The most ridiculous thing that I've heard this season is Michigan being called America's team. That's what I'm saying. That is like, you're putting me in this position to root for them. <laughs> That's like, unbelievable. An another example. Thing. Another example of uh, Jim Harbaugh and his CTE concussed situation what are you talking about america's team that, that <laughs> kind of wish notre dame and stanford were on a different game different weekend so i could do x things to say about michigan and ohio state Be more fun hey you have plenty of time you can do it in the afternoon hey, i could do it later in the week I, the irish illustrated website is a is a <laughs> it's a blank canvas man you can do whatever you want to do no. you're tim o'malley 
You do whatever you want to do, man. Question from Orly Board. Is Dante Moore a possibility if he enters the portal? By the way, I love the podcast. He also- I just love the fact that he loves our podcast, so I'll let somebody else answer the other part of that one. <laughs> Is he a possibility, Pete, Dante Moore? Of what? Possibility of what? Well, I think he, uh, I think Orly was saying uh, him coming to Notre Dame. Do we, is that really something you, you really want a player that did that to you to come to Notre Dame? No. No. I tell you what, I have watched Dante Moore a little bit. And of course, he's made a boatload of mistakes this year. But man, when he's good, he's good. Yeah. I mean, this has nothing to do with, I think Dante Moore could end up being a really good player, but you can't have yeah. him Notre Dame anymore. Like Notre Dame can't have all play, the good players. They've proven it. Play f- true freshmen. They make a bunch of mistakes. No, don't um, need another young quarterback. They've got a lot of promising young quarterbacks. That's the thing. Like, one of which I don't, is coming when in When they talk about the, the, the transfer quarterback, like I, I just I eliminate the more Vizina, like whatever freshman quarterback you want to add to the mix, like I have already eliminated because I don't think that makes any sense to take somebody like that i think he was just being polite when he said we haven't decided if it's a grad transfer or otherwise but they're getting a fourth quarterback yeah like why would i, I just don't taking a freshman doesn't solve the problem you're trying to solve by taking a quarterback no it doesn't i, I you know I, I was one that thought about vizina you know there's too much baggage with the relationship with dante Moore. vizina i don't know that there's it's like that and but I, I mean, I think the only reason you say a young quarterback is because of the transfer rules in Notre Dame makes it so difficult to get a junior or a, you know, a true, yeah, to, I mean, to get somebody with multiple, with a couple years of eligibility. It just doesn't, Dante Moore's not the right fit. I, I just thought Vizina might be somebody that, eh, that might be somebody that you, you revisit, but you got a, you got a bunch of young quarterbacks. You need it. You need one that's experienced so he can, Lead the 2024 team. The point. Find someone who can play. Yep. yep. But uh, what will it do to the ecosystem of the room? <laughs> we're not worrying about that anymore, Tim. No, we are not. <laughs> uh, last question from uh, before we get to predictions. BL Casper and looking ahead, uh, who would be good good candidates for 2024 captains? Um, hmm. Xavier Watts. Wishful. See, see how I got him on the team there. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, uh, Riley Mills, Chris Tyree. I'm just trying to keep all the best players, but actually, um, Chris Tyree and Xavier Watts would be good candidates if they return. Xavier Watts, is a fantastic candidate if he returns. That is, um, boy, you're getting down to the because now you have to figure out what fifth year guys are coming, sixth year guys are coming back. I mean, any of the Bertrand, Kaiser, Leofau, Cross would be a captain if he comes back. Yeah, I'm just. I'm going to eliminate like the, the six year guy oh, yeah. coming back just for the, for the sake of honoring this question. Um, so I'll go Benjamin Morrison, Xavier Watts, Mitchell Evans, and Riley Leonard. You didn't mix up names there. Did you? you no, meant, I didn't. You meant the quarterback from, uh, from no, I, I definitely meant the quarterback from Duke. And, um, and that would be a, he would be a great fit. Michael Pratt, I think, would be a great fit. Um, you know, people are mentioning. I mean, Jasheen Davis can be a captain for all I care. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he would be a captain of multiple teams. But he can't play quarterback. So, no, can't uh, yeah, we're right well, I mean, those are good. Evans is a good candidate, healthy. Uh, Jaden. I mean, Tyree's a great candidate, isn't he, if he comes oh, back? Of course. Yeah. Ty- yeah. Tyree would be maybe even ahead of. Mitchell Evans. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah, I think he would deserve that. You know, I, I mean, you feel bad for Jaden Thomas. I mean, he's lost a year of foot. He lost a year. Uh, he really. lost, yeah. lost, he lost really. a year without maintaining a, any eligibility in it. Yeah. I feel bad for him because, uh, and I feel bad for Sam Hartman because I think that was a guy that you could have completed 70% of the throws you made to him. Contrary to. Absolutely. What? Yeah. Well, he caught, he, you know, he, Caught, he was targeted eight times in the first two games and caught all eight. I mean, do you remember the uh, practice that was on the grass field that we went to in August? And they were like, all right, Freeman got out there and was like, we're doing competitive period right out of the gate. And we were like two yards away from it. 
and Jaden Thomas put a move on Cam Hart and made a competitive catch. Like, how many more competitive catches have we seen in the last three months? Yeah. No, no doubt about it. They're all by Mitchell Evans. Yeah. And Chris Terry. By a receiver. Terry I'm just talking about receivers. Chris Terry has made probably the other ones, right? He made you it. Know, I mean, great, great about... house against Navy. Yeah. But it's Navy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tougher. Great house against NC State is probably the best one, right? You know, that was the, the game. Slam. When we're talking oh, about a, one, high, a high percentage of completion to Tyree, those aren't, you know, like we envision going into the season, okay, something underneath, just dump it off to Tyree. Those aren't dump-off passes to Tyree. No. As the season has gone on, they've been longer and longer and longer. He had the long one against Tennessee State but or, or Central Michigan. Central Michigan. Uh, so did Tobias. Know, and Tobias had a long one, too, when the corner – Completely blew the completely blew the coverage, and all he had to do was run out there and catch the football. All right, guys, there is a football game on Saturday. It's the last home game, and as I mentioned at the top, it is the 500th game in Notre Dame Stadium. And now that I thought of that, I'm going to you. You brought this up a month ago. You haven't done the research yet. No, I have not. (laughs) Quite a of the 500 games in Notre Dame Stadium. How many have you covered? How many has my old ass been to? Yeah. Been to, not even cover, but been to. That's good. I've uh, been to, yeah. Some cover, you could figure out too easily. Just start and then t- take yeah. away like one. Well, yeah. Duke, uh, Duke 1966 was my first game. I was six. Wait, are you serious? I am. I don't remember it well. but the first one brother, you covered? No. no. <laughs> my brother tells me that I went to the game <laughs> with him. I don't remember for, for St. Matthew Elementary Post Gazette. I don't know what the paper you're working for back then. <laughs> I, the first one I remember going to was the uh, Under the Lights, the first game Under the Lights. So, this is what I want to tell everybody when you're going to bring your young child to a game. I have a ticket stub from the 1981 USC game, and I don't remember being there. You know, mad my older brothers must have been that I was at that USC game that I don't remember yeah. being at. All right, there's your cutoff point. Bring them to UNLV games, Wake Forest games. Start off with yep. USC when they're older. All right, fellas, predictions. What do you got? Uh, I have a hard time seeing Wake Forest scoring points, um, maybe any points at all. It, uh, I just Where they are at the quarterback position is just I mean, against this defense. I feel like this could look like the Boston College game from last year without the snow. Um so I'll, I'll say Wake Forest gets some points, but it's two field goals and Notre Dame wins 44 to six. Yeah, I'm right in that area. Um, the last five senior days, 55, nothing, 44, nothing, 45, I, 21, 40 to seven and 42, 14. I did. The what same. about the emotions, the emotions of senior day? Do you think, will they get tripped? You know, up when the emotions or... of senior day really mattered when they were playing teams like Tennessee, Penn state and Boston college, that was good. Cause then the emotions are tough when the quarterback's really huh. good and you could lose. Those are problems. That's when the emotions come into play. Um, or the, or it can be really emotional when you're terrible and you're playing Syracuse. That's also an emotional moment. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, in, I'm in the Notre Dame 38, six range and they could easily explode for another one of those. I mean, the, especially the way the offense needs confidence and needs everything they can get they could easily hit that 45 six range um i just didn't say a shutout because it's hard to get shutouts yeah six is the number that i've been looking at too i i kind of feel like that nordium is going to have that breakout game offensively but i'll yeah. remind you guys that um only one team has scored more than 30 points against wake Forest. yeah that was in my preview too for for Saturday morning. Only one team scored more than thirty um, on Wake Forest, and if they're good on third down in this game, then Notre Dame might not get to the thirty five thirty eight because that's the key. If Wake is good on third down, Notre Dame is bad on it. If it plays out that way, it's hard to get six touchdowns for sure. I could, I mean, could you guys see Notre Dame sputtering offense, like I, not breaking out offensively? I mean, it's easy to imagine, but like just. I could see Hartman kind of not a dud game, but I could see him not playing well on Saturday. This is a weird spot for him. I agree, but I think the Benjamin Morrison, Cam Hart, Jack Kaiser, they're all going to be making so many plays in this game at scrimmage that you could have another one of those. Notre Dame scored two defensive touchdowns. Yeah, if, a punt. Like I would say if you could find a prop bet somewhere for Notre Dame scoring two defensive touchdowns, I would put $10 on that. You know, and I don't want to, like, I feel like, Maybe maybe I overly defended Sam Hartman because he has been. I you know I don't think I've said it and written it. I don't 
think that he's been focused every time out. And so that's, that's on him. Part of it may have to do with the fact that he isn't comfortable throwing to his wide receivers, uh, you know, be that as it may, but um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure where I'm going with this exactly other than I like the under, but the under is now down to 46 and a half, which is, I just don't think, I don't think Wake Forest is, I, if they score a touchdown, it's going to be because five foot eight, 200 pound DeMond Claiborne snaps off a 45 yard run and, and, and scores. Um, but I think it's low scoring. Um, and I think it's especially low scoring for Wake Forest. I was going to say, but you don't you're, you you don't oh, think okay. you're not in the twenties or anything like that. No, right? no, and I don't. You know, ultimately, I don't think that it's an extremely competitive game because I don't think yeah. Wake Forest can be able to score. All right, we've run uh, this. This has been a long edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for joining us. We will be back on Saturday for our pregame and postgame instant analysis. Uh, YouTube channel Irish Illustrated Overtime in postgame. It'll all be there, plus our uh, our written word following Notre Dame Wake Forest this weekend in the home finale, the 500th game in Notre Dame Stadium. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.